I mean, in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, man is presented with a choice. I mean, it's very clear that one of those choices leads to life and the other one leads to death. Those choices, one of them leads to heaven, the other one leads to hell. And throughout Scripture, you see these choices that are given. Back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 30, Moses said this to the nation of Israel, I have set before you life and death, blessing and a cursing. And then Moses said, so choose life in order that you may live. He told the nation to choose life. That before them was a blessing and a cursing. And I could say in a very real way, that choice is before you even this morning. Joshua, I think as you well know in 24, said choose for yourselves who you will serve. Whether the, whether the God that your fathers served, he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve who? The Lord. But choose yourselves today whom you will serve. Elijah told the people, told the nation of Israel, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? He said, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Those choices remain. Of course, the greatest choice ever given in the Scripture, ever penned in all of the Scripture, might be the greatest sermon ever spoken was from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, who looked out upon a vast multitude and said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. And then the Lord said, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And he said, Those who find it are few. Few are those who find it. So there's a broad path with a broad gate that many go. Then there's a narrow path with a narrow gate that only a few find. I mean, in that one sermon, there are two gates, broad and narrow, two teachers, true and false, two claims, one is of words and another one is of deeds. There are two foundations in that sermon, sand and rock, And it brings every individual to two roads that ultimately lead to two destinations. And our Lord is teaching that his message demands a response. And I'm asking you this morning, what choice are you making? What path are you on? Are you on the path, the narrow path that leads to life? Are you on the broad path that leads to death? Spiritual defection in the scripture is frightening. Spiritual defection, by that I mean people who are part of us, people who name Christ, people who call themselves a Christian, people who call themselves a disciple, but they defect. Do you remember John the Apostle spoke of that in 1 John 2, 19? They went out from us, for they were not really of us, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out in order that it might become plain that they are not of us. 
But they went out, John says, from amongst us. Paul, when he's addressing that issue of spiritual defection, spoke in 2 Timothy 4.10 about Demas, who loved this present world. He said, Demas has departed from me. You know, I've been in the ministry for a long time now. And there's great joys, like the joy today of seeing a work go on in Albania. Albania. It's a joy to hear Melody speak that these women and mothers are coming because they want to know what happened to their son and daughter and why the change. Those are great joys, but the defections are hard. And I've watched personally many people walk away from Christ. I have led people to Christ, have been on my knees in living rooms in the sinner's prayer with people after explaining the gospel to them for hours and sensing and embracing of the person of Christ and then ensues the follow-up and puts them in the class that we're offering right now, Fundamentals of the Faith. And I'm thinking of one particular young man who came out of the gate so strong and so hard for the things of the Lord. And then as the months went by, he just kind of trickled away from week to week to week to the point where the worst state of him was worse than he was before he came to Christ. And he went in back to a life of debauchery. What do you do with people like that? That's the people I know. What about you? What about the people you know? It could be that you're sitting here this morning and you're on the fence. I've met many people who are on the fence. I think of one particular young man that I met with for years in the morning for a a Bible study. And I love this man. And I would call this man a friend to this day. This man was a servant. This man was engaged. But he began to make some wrong choices. And one choice led to another choice, which led to another choice that led him down to a path where he struggled with his wife. And then I asked him, what is it with your wife? And I said, what's going on? I mean, he could barely talk to me, and I made him talk to me. And he basically said there was one conversation that he had with her, and he thought to himself, what am I doing in this relationship? And from one moment at one time in one conversation, he began to move away from her. He defected and left her. He left her kids. He left his practice. He was a doctor. And he began to live homeless. And what happens to people like this? What, what happens to people who call themselves a believer and then they defect from the faith? In fact, not only the question, what happens to them, how does that happen? And maybe my question to you this morning from the text in John 6 is, how can you tell a real disciple from a false disciple? How can you tell somebody who's really got the truth, but then someone who says they have the truth, and then they depart? And I can guarantee you, by the Spirit of God, somebody's coming to your mind. It could be this, your son. It could be your daughter. It could be your grandchildren. It could be that neighbor. It could be that person that you grew up with 
that you had fellowship together, that you were in the word together, and now they have defected like Demas. They've loved this present world and they've departed. What do you actually say about those people? Are they just carnal? And maybe the better question is, what did the man himself say? Jesus Christ. Well, I point you to John chapter 6. And I come to this most pivotal section in the last chapter of John's chapter 6. Because if you're wondering those questions, you might even be wondering of your own faith. Then listen, you've come to the right place. You've come to the right text. Do you remember the text in John 6.60? He had just fed the 5,000, which is to feed the 20,000. The crowds were following him. Massive crowds followed the person of Christ. But he gave the hard statements about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which we taught on last week. And and then the disciples respond and pick up the text. I'll read it in verse 16. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. And then one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. I mean that. And after this... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You stop there. They turned their back and no longer walked with him. This is an amazing text. It's important as we begin in Scripture. Let me just help you with something to line your thinking up and my thinking up. All Israel, you know when Paul said that, is not Israel. All people who claim to be disciples are not disciples. There are true disciples and there are false disciples. In fact, look down at verse 60 again. This is what stuns me. When many, watch this, not of the crowd, but when many of his disciples heard it, They said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? There's a difference between disciples who are just attached to someone following and the disciples that you'll meet next week. Look down in verse 67, when Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So listen, as you read your Bible... There's disciples, there's true disciples who continue in his word. I'll speak of that in a moment and next week. But there's false disciples who are in the crowd. And they're in Kingsburg. And they're in Reedley. And they're in Visalia. And they're in Fresno. And they're in Fowler. And they're in Sanger. So you say, what does the word disciple mean? I'm just trying to point it to you. Look. In verse 60, it says there, when many of his disciples, it just me, it's the Greek word mathetes. Look at verse 66. Many 
After this, many of the disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. A mathetes, a disciple, is simply someone who follows another. It doesn't always mean in every situation that the person is a believer. It doesn't always, when it describes the word disciple, describe a commitment of that disciple. This is a very common word in New Testament language. John the Baptist, according to Matthew 9.14, had disciples. Some of the disciples of our Lord were disciples of John the Baptist. They followed John. They followed his teaching. The Pharisees themselves, according to Matthew 22, verse 15 and 16, had disciples. Paul, according to Acts 9.25, had disciples. Moses in John 9.28 had disciples. So there, you could be a disciple of someone, and it means you're following that person. You're listening to the teaching, but it doesn't necessarily explain what kind of disciple you are. Now, we know that a true disciple as we will see as we go forward, is someone who trusts Christ, is someone who believes Christ, is someone who follows Christ, is someone who has been given by the Father to the Son from all eternity. We know that that particular person is born again, according to John 3. And we also know from John 8.31 that a true disciple continues in the Word And we know that some people don't. They continue in the word and they continue to submit to him. So here's the question as we launch this morning. What are the distinctions of a true and a false disciple? Okay. What should we look for in a true disciple? That's next week. What are the marks of a false disciple? Listen, you've come to the right text. We have before us in John 6, verses 60 through 71, two responses. This is hard for me to say. Two responses by the disciples in Christ's teaching on the bread of life. John the Apostles were real clear. You got crowds. They had responses. John's now saying, and Jesus is saying, you have amongst the disciples two responses to the teaching of of the bread of life. There are two then responses that reveal the eternal destiny of every single individual. And I ask you this morning as your shepherd, in love, are you a true disciple? I don't mean that to challenge you or kind of condescend. But I know that in a crowd this size, there's going to be some of you who might not be here soon. There's going to be some who, after Jesus taught the bread of life, no longer walked with him. There's going to be some who would say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they'll bail. They'll defect. In the military language, they'll go AWOL, absent without leave. Oh, they were part of it at one time, but they're no longer part of it. And it could be that you even know people now who were in our church people that I've baptized, people that became members who no longer are tracking with the Lord. If you caught them, they might say they're a Christian, but they've gone another way. But the truth is they've not just walked away from the church, but I would just say to you in tenderness, this breaks the heart of God. This breaks the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He gave the difficult statement and they no longer walked with him. It actually uses that phrase there, they turned back. And when you look at the language there, it is the language, beloved, of finality. That when he gave the discourse on the bread of life, they turned their back on the Messiah and walked with him no more. And there's a finality to it. It's not just that they didn't like that particular teaching. They walked away from the Lord. And so the massive crowds that followed him followed him no more. And it seems like in our own day, we have such a reverse model of this, of churches trying to soft pedal the gospel in order to win a convert when Jesus actually turned the dial up and made a hard statement about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So here's what I want to do. This week, we're going to look at the unbelief of the false disciples. Then next week, I'll look at verse 67 through 71 on the belief of the true disciples. But let's look at these two responses, and let's look at the first response, the unbelief of false disciples. You say, what happens to them? Well, it's right here. I'm not left wondering what's happened to them. Jesus is going to tell you what happens to people. Okay, and he, and he reveals the unbelief of false disciples. They're marked by three distinct realities, okay? And I, I say this to equip you because we live in a world that anybody can say they're a Christian. We live in a world that people do say they're a Christian. What is a Christian? What is a disciple? Well, here you're going to meet some false disciples, So you say, what are they characterized? By three realities, okay? First, false disciples stop listening to him, okay? They stop listening to him. And let me just say that as you're noting that, this is not an easy message to preach. I could lose people right here in this service. I get that. But you know our task from the day we began nine years ago, we're just going to cut it straight to you, okay? But I just want you to know this is not easy for me to communicate this because I love you and I'm going to answer to the Lord and give an account for you on if we were faithful to the text as a group of leaders. So I just say that to you. It's not like I'm uh, uh, gloating in this preaching. I don't want to preach this. It's really hard for me even to see something that came out this week by a woman who was supposed to speak in our town and we as an elder board said no to it and somebody said pastor scott grace church is the only church that didn't support the if gathering and we didn't support it for a reason and when you see what people who speak on that platform say you'll know it so we bear the reproach in this community of the stands we've taken and i don't say that in pride you're here you're the choir this morning but we've borne the weight of that And you know what? We're going to be faithful to the Lord. So what happens here? What happens to people? Well, number one, the false disciples stop listening to him. Pick up the text with me in verse 60. He just gave it on the bread of life. And he said, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Now, you'll note there that they said it's a hard saying. That is a Greek word, scleros. 
We, we sometimes use the word sclerosis, the hardening of the arteries. What these people said after they heard him is this is a hard saying. You say, what's the saying? It's what we've just been expositing through in 52 through 59. That he's going to give us flesh. He's going to die on our behalf. He's going to do it and offer it for the world. And you must eat his flesh and drink his blood. You must appropriate me. And of course, they didn't understand that he was actually saying, come to me. You must come to me. You must submit to me. You must believe on me. You must check your self-righteousness at the door. You've got to leave your pride at the door. You've got to look at me, the brazen serpent that's lifted up on the cross. And, And as Jesus keeps going, the crowd keeps growing until here. And then they're going to leave. And so it's a hard saying. And I want you to understand, beloved, this does not mean that it's a hard saying to understand it means that the saying itself is offensive to them. It's repulsive to them. To eat his flesh and drink his blood, they're thinking, come on, really? In fact, the clue of the text is look at the next phrase. Glance down in the Bible in verse 16. This is a hard saying. Who, do you see this, can listen to it? And the thought here is to listen with the intent of obeying it. In other words, what they are saying, and I want to be clear, it's not the crowd anymore. It's the people that are attached to him. The people who will follow him as long as he gives them the miracle. But they're saying, who can listen to his message? Who can listen to him say, I have a heavenly origin? Who can listen to him say, eat his flesh and drink his blood and then speak of his death? And if you want to write this down in your notes, you can put it this way. I see here in verse 16, who can listen to it? Here's what it means. Who can accept this? That's what not the crowd is saying, but the disciples are saying. And I'm just thinking now we're soft peddling stuff that many are in the pulpit, not preaching this word. So it does seem pretty acceptable. In other words, you ask, why did they stop listening to him? Well, it's a hard saying, but they have competing desires, do they not? They're intrigued by the healings. As long as he feeds 20,000 people, that's pretty cool. As as long as they're enamored with the miraculous and what he did with the man who was laying by the pool, that's pretty cool. As long as they can talk about a political overthrow in chapter 6, look what they wanted to do, the crowds. Go back in verse 14, remember this? In chapter 6, when the people saw the sign that he had done, and they said to him, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, 6.15, perceiving then that they were able to come, or they wanted to come and take him by force and make him what? King. They want to make him king, and now they're going to turn their back and walk from them. That is the fickleness of the crowd. That is what it means that it's a hard stain. I mean, how can Jesus, their thinking, come from above? Isn't this, remember earlier a couple of weeks ago, the son of Joseph? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Remember last week? This is a scandalous thought. In fact, MacArthur, in his commentary, said their reaction is typical of false disciples. As long as they perceive Jesus to be the source of healing, free food, deliverance from enemy oppression... The self-serving disciples flocked to him. 
But when he demanded that they acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy, confess their sin, commit themselves to him as the only source of salvation, they became offended. End of quotes. So true. There's so many today as we turn the corner to Christmas that want sweet baby Jesus in a manger. They want to meet Jesus as the reformer. Praise the Lord for that. They want to see him in some ways as the cultural hero and the healer, excuse me, of diseases. They want to see him as the bringer of joy. They write books that are called Best Life Now. And they just soft pedal his message. In fact, I saw a recent video where the entire testimony of the video, and you take this with a grain of salt, was the the young people just kept saying, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my friend. I see shirts today that say, Jesus is my homebody. Homebody, you know. Uh, Listen, you know, he is a friend, John 15, but he's also Lord, is he not, beloved? It ought to be our response to fall down on our knees and worship him, okay? He is Lord of all. He's Lord over relationships. He's Lord over personal purity. He's Lord over your business. And you ought to live, and I ought to live my life in submission to him. Many people are just adding Jesus to their lifestyle. But as our Lord clearly said in the seed, in the sower and the seed, that the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Listen, I've seen so many people walk away in that category, the worries of the world. I've seen people come to Christ, as I mentioned, and then they just stop going. The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, that word that was taken in with instant joy now becomes unfruitful and it becomes choked. And so they say here, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? They stop listening to him. Who can listen to it? Who can accept it? They just defect from him. In fact, go back. We just look for a moment. Go back to chapter 5. Do you remember statements like this? Watch the language of just listening to the word. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, truly, truly. It's fascinating. Whoever in 5, 24 hears. There it is. My word. And believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In other words, the choice there is just by hearing and by believing. And in verse 25, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. It is one of the characteristics of a true disciple to hear the word of God. Look over at John chapter 8 in, in verse 42. We'll see this in some weeks ahead. But in John 8, 42, there our Lord is talking. And he said to them, and he's talking to the leaders, I believe, at this point in 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. And I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? Watch this. It is because you cannot bear to hear my, what? Word. They can't hear it. And so these disciples, when he gave them this text, they couldn't bear to hear it. And so though they're disciples and though they're attached and though they're following the crowd and the miracle, when he got to that point, they they bailed on them. They couldn't bear to hear it. Go over to John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10, and certainly you know this text. He's talking about the good shepherd in John 10. Jesus said to him, the gatekeeper opens, and I'm in verse 3. The sheep hear his, what? They hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And 10.4, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. But a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You see, a true disciple keeps following the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, keeps following the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is encapsulated in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Look down at John chapter 10. Look at verse 16. Have you ever just seen these phrases of the listening? And I have other sheep like us, hopefully, right? Who, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my. What? My voice. They're going to listen to the Savior. Look down at John chapter 10 and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they what? They follow me. Stunning statement. Can I show you one more? Look all the way to the end. Sort of at John 18. It's a magnificent statement. By the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 18 in verse 37. Remember when Pilate said to him in his trial, he said to him, so you are a king in 1837. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. And then Jesus said this, everyone who is of the truth listens to my what? Voice. Go back to John 6. These false disciples stopped listening. In fact, look back at the text, at the next statements. They said, who can accept it? Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that, again, he identifies them, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? How does he know that in himself that, that uh, they were grumbling about this? Well, you and I know for John, he's God. Hey, Nathaniel, before you came to me, I saw you under the what? The tree. He knew the man's condition at the pool. He said in John chapter 2 that he knew the condition of every man's heart. And so knowing in himself that the disciples were, look what they were doing in verse 61, it says they were what? They were grumbling. They were grumbling just like the Jewish people did. You said, did the Jewish people grumble? Yes, look back in 641. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I've come down from heaven? They're grumbling. And now his own people, if we use that language, his own disciples are grumbling and they sounded like the the Jewish people in Exodus 16 to the first generation of people that grumbled against Moses. But beloved, here it's the disciples who were grumbling. They were offended by his message. They said, who can listen to this? Who can even accept this? Let me give you the implication here. These false disciples stopped listening to him. This is what happens when people begin to defect. So what do you mean, pastor? This. They stop listening to his word. 
they stop reading His Word. They stop hearing the Word preached. Where the Scripture used to dominate their life, now basically they've stopped listening. They've stopped their ears up from the message and they find themselves having no point of contact. The only contact they have is with the world. You say, well, Scott, how did that happen to your friend who you met with for years? Oh, yeah, years, bagels, 6 o'clock in the morning. He was there. What happens? Here's where it begins. You just stop listening. You stop accepting his message. You stop believing what he said. And so the first step to spiritual defection is a movement away from listening to God's word. And all of this led to a question. Would you look back in the text? Look at it. The text is where the power is. He said, do you, he says they were grumbling about this. 61, he said, do you take, you see that word? Underline that word. Offense at this. The, the NASB, if you're holding that, a good translation, says, does this cause you to stumble? Okay? So they not only didn't want to accept it, but now they, they were taking offense. So the false disciples, number one, are not only stop, stop listening to him, but secondly, a false disciple or false disciples stop believing him. They stop believing him. Listen, I'm trying to explain how apostasy happens. How defection happens. It's here in verse 61. Jesus asked him a question. He said, do you take offense at this? Or do you stumble over this? It's the Greek word skandalizo. And it can either mean two things. It can either mean, as we just read, you take offense at this. And he's asking him, do you take offense at this? Or secondly, skandalizo can mean that you've stopped believing. And I think both ideas fit the text here. The false disciples took offense at Jesus' teaching and it stopped them, secondly, to stop believing his message. Scary thing. I'm talking to us. I'm talking people that you name Christ with, who walk with you, who think nothing of walking out on a spouse, who think nothing of living with another person who think nothing of the the, the lifestyle they have, and yet they're somehow, well, they're carnal Christians. Listen, there are people who stop listening, and then secondly, they stop believing. This is the same word, scandalizo, for apostasy. And I'm telling you that one apostatizes when they stop believing God's word, which is another way of saying that they have stopped obeying God's word. You get on a slippery slope really fast. And our Lord is saying, do you stumble and struggle to believe? Here's what they took offense to. And appropriate me and eat my flesh and drink my blood. You're going to stumble over that. You're going to stop believing over that. And rather than trying to correct their thinking, he goes right after the issue and raises it up. Look at the next scripture in verse 62. This is the only way I can see this. He says, do you take offense at this at the end of 61 that I'm going to die? That you've got to appropriate me, my flesh, my blood, which is for you, for the forgiveness of sins? Then, verse 62, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now you say, what does that mean? Well, I, I just think there, he's speaking of a reference there to the cross. It could be the cross. 
What if, then if you're struggling with me dying, what if you were to see me ascend? And I'm just saying the language of John 3.14 is that the Son of Man, do you remember that language will be lifted up? That you've got to see him? I can understand that view being the cross. There's other people. Look at that again in verse 62. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending? They say, well, obviously that speaks of the ascension, okay, into glory. To return to the pre-incarnate glory, John 17, 5, that he had with the Father before the world began. It could be either. It could be that he's talking about the cross. It could be saying that, listen, I will be lifted up on a cross. I will, in Acts 1, ascend into glory. And our Lord's point is this, and I think here's the point he's making. He He would say this, if his teaching of his flesh and blood offended his disciples, how much more would they be offended by his execution? 1 Corinthians 1.23. A bloody Savior? Hey, you're supposed to deliver us from Rome. You're supposed to give us political victory. Like a lot of people today, putting all their hope in the next president. Really? I mean, we have a responsibility, do we not, to vote, but our hope is in the kingdom of God, is it not? Our hope is in a Savior who will make all things right at the end. Our hope is in the song that we sang about. But they want a political overthrow, and as long as he's healing, and as long as he's creating the miracle in his hands and passing the food out, they're going to follow him. But when he makes a tough stain, and when it demands something from them to follow Then they left, and I think he's just saying here, look down at the next scripture. He says to them, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, I think he's just saying, you're talking about my flesh. Remember when we talked last week and we said that some people teach the doctrine of transubstantiation, that eating is flesh and drinking is blood is what people do at communion. And when you take communion, you take the bread, which literally in their mind becomes the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You drink the cup, which literally in that element amongst these uh, denominations becomes the blood of Christ. I, I think here Jesus is minimizing that. Look what he said in 63. He said, as the spirit who gives life, the flesh, he said, is no help at all. He says, no help at all. In other words, I think he's just saying here, stop thinking I was asking you literally to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit, according to John chapter 3, that gives life is what he's saying here. We know that from the teaching of the Old Testament, it's the spirit of God that's got to come in the life of the believer. In fact, look what it says there in verse 63. He said, I have spoken to you spirit and life. In other words, the Spirit came upon Jesus. John 1.32, Jesus in other passages speaks the very words for God. His words are spirit. His words are life. He is the bread of life that the one who feeds on Christ comes to him through the power of the word of God. Jesus' words generate life. But watch this. Look at verse 64. So sad. It says, but there are some of you who do not, what? Believe. Now, now, to me, that just is staggering. You say, who's he talking to? He's talking to the people who are disciples. He said, there's some of you who do not believe. And though they were disciples, do you understand this? He calls them unbelievers. In other words, you can be a disciple, follow in the crowd, but not really, not really believe. 
And so many did in our Lord's day, and it's like that in our own day. Some just stop listening to the Word of God, and once you stop listening to the Word of God, then you begin that slippery slope, and you stop believing the Word of God. And then all of a sudden, you're getting down a path that's rather scary. I think this scripture will come up on your screen here. Uh, Push that forward there. One more forward. It's this, where it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever, uh, it's open, believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and they stumble, watch this, because they do, because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Some people just stop following because they, they stop believing in him and they, they walk from him. And there's a marvelous play here on God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And so we are called to believe and yet look what he says there in the text. He says in verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of the disciples turned their back on him and no longer walked with him. Let me just say this. Spiritual affection in the false disciple is first marked by a failure to listen to God's word. Secondly, it's marked by a failure to believe in God's word. And when you fail to listen to God's word and when you fail to believe in God's word, you become now down to that point of the slippery slope where thirdly, false disciples stop following him. It's one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Many of his disciples turned back, verse 66, and no longer walked with him. I remember my friend, I said, what happened to you? He said, I don't know, I was just kind of around it, Scott, and then I realized I, I really didn't believe that. He becomes emotional. He becomes rational. I don't really love my wife. And then he had no problem walking out on her. Then he had no problem walking out on his four kids. Then he had no problem walking out on his own practice. Listen, once you stop listening to God's word, not his voice, but his voice in his word, then you stop believing him. And when you stop believing him, thirdly here, it leads all the way down to this spiritual defection. You stop following him. And it's sad that I've seen that happen with many people. You say, where did they go? They went back to their former way of life. They went back to the worries of the world. They went back to the desire for other things. They went back to the riches of this world. In fact, look at verse 66. I wanted to point this out to you. After this, stop there just for a second. In other words, after this, in other words, from that statement, from the teaching on the bread of life, from this time, it says there that they turned their back and no longer walked with him. In other words, it was final. It was conclusive, if you will. They stopped listening. They stopped believing. Thirdly, they stopped following. He goes from the height of his popularity to turning their back is what they did. From wanting to make him a king to defecting from him spiritually. And so no one, Jesus said, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me just say this, beloved, when your life is marked by a failure to listen to God's word, then you stop believing in God's word, then you stop following God's word and following the master altogether. 
It's so sad, is it not? Maybe the Lord's put somebody on your mind. Maybe that's in your condition and God brought you here today because you needed to hear this. And God, listen, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I also want to equip you, and it's probably too much to just leave you on that note. But look what happens after that. Look what Jesus said, and we'll pick it up next week. He said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's the response of the true disciple. Lord, where would we go? What would we do? Where would we turn to? What else would you do? What other plan do you have? See, in the heart of a true disciple, he continues. He continues in the word. He continues to listen. He continues not perfectly to obey. He continues not perfectly, but to follow. And it begins to mark your life out. But you're not saved by walking an aisle. You know that praying a prayer, signing on the dotted line, if you will, because of one decision. You're saved because you continue faithfully listening, obeying, and walking in, not perfection, but in direction of obedience for your life. And so I just say, are you a false disciple or are you a true disciple? And I pray that all of us would be a true disciple. Let me just close out by saying you can have a couple of responses this morning. There's two, and there's really only two in the Scripture. And I'm just going to take you to the Word of God. Remember when Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed? Tell me where you fit in this. He said, when anyone hears, that's how it begins. It's interesting. When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. And what is sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears. They hear, as they did hear. They hear the word immediately and receive it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself. But for a while, but when tribulation and persecution arises on the count of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown amongst the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That word, beloved, fell on three soils. Three soils were in the hearing of the word of God. Each heard the word and responded with joy, but then it got caught somewhere along the path. And then praise God that it leaves us with this. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, but he understands it. And he indeed, here's the life of a believer, bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and in another 60, and in another 30. In other words, they hear, they respond, they they bear fruit. So which is it? Do you hear and respond and listen and obey and follow? Or hear, this one hears, and they bear fruit. So there's a false disciple, there's a true disciple, and my question for you is, which one are you? might be a question as we talk with each other, as we fellowship with one another. I want to extend a word. You come tonight, be in prayer and praise with us tonight so we can lift our voices up and pray for for Team Albania. But listen, listen, I want you to know I love you. I want you to know we're never going to sugarcoat it here. I want you, I don't want us to ever get prideful like we're the place of truth. Listen, we want to be the place that teaches the word. 
I, I don't want to go around and become the spiritual Gestapo on everyone, but I do want to be faithful to you to make sure that you're banking on what the scripture says is a true disciple who bears fruit, hears, listens, obeys, and follows, or if you're marked by someone who just defects spiritually like Demas.